Good morning. My name is Al Langley. Sometimes I forget that. In any case, <laughs> uh, what I'd like to discuss this morning is all the blessings that I've had. But you don't have enough time. If I were to count all my blessings today, most of you would literally go to sleep. So don't do that. We all face hard things in life. Life is hard. People let us down. Financial challenges seem to overwhelm us. Yet the Bible's clear, rejoice in the Lord always. So how can we rejoice in the Lord no matter what the circumstances? After 83 years, I'm able to look back and rejoice. Actually, I don't look like I'm 83. I'm just maybe a day over 82 or so. In any case, first and foremost, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior at age 12. That did not exempt me from physical, emotional, or spiritual storms, but it helped me to get through those storms of life. If you don't know that, personally, you need to do so. The next thing I need to mention or I'd be in big, big trouble. I met my wife-to-be, Winona, when I was a freshman in college. We've now had 63 years of marital bliss. She told me to say that. And if I didn't, well, bottom line, it is true. Over the past 63 years, pardon me, the last few years perhaps I should say, Winona's had 10 different surgeries. She's been a guest, if that's the right term, in four different nursing homes. Praise God, she was able to walk out of each and every one of them. And today, I can tell when she's doing well because she says, you need to do this or that, which is a good sign. Almost two years ago, she developed leukemia. That's the bad news, but praise God, leukemia is in remission, but she still takes her, her cancer medication and sees their physicians on a regular basis, including trips down to uh, Houston for MD Anderson. Now, one of our most exciting things that we have experienced in our life is our children. We uh, developed a two-week-old Alice. <laughs> Raise your hand. That was so much fun that uh, seven years later we adopted our oldest son, Mark. Now, Mark's not be able to, you know, was not able to be here today, but uh, everyone says we look just alike, Mark and myself and our son, Brian. Well, not really, but I like to think that. In any case, Brian came along 
and uh, that was another exciting thing that we experienced in our life. Today we have three children, ten grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. There's two grandchildren and two great-grandchildren in the back. And how blessed we are. I'm going to ask you to think for a minute. If you're, if you're falling asleep, wake up for just a moment. I'm going to ask how many of you have been adopted or are adoptive parents or have uh, helped children in the past, and that is by being uh, foster parents or you were a foster child. Just to raise your hand, please. Actually, we did better in the first service, for what it's worth. Now, this is the best part, someone said. In conclusion, God has been good. God is good. If you don't know him, you're missing a lifetime of excitement and an eternity far, far more than any of us can imagine. What I would urge you to do is if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have personally missed more than you will ever know. Amen, amen. At this time, we're going to dismiss our kiddos for Children's Church. It's also the time we begin to pray for our Children's Church workers. All happens at the same time. All happens at the same time. All right, guys, as they head out, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to the very end of John chapter 7, the beginning of John chapter 8, the end of uh, John chapter 7, the beginning of John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. I want to thank Hal, who has been with us in both services to give his testimony. so awesome. I'm kind of sharing a story, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here uh, between now and Easter is, is we're talking about what God has done for us. We're boasting in, in Christ. And so uh, this whole series through the Gospel of John, that's, that's kind of the point. And so we're studying these stories where Jesus has these interactions with people. And, and when Jesus meets people, we learn a whole lot about who Jesus is, and we also learn about a lot about who we're called to be. And so that's our hope. And, and uh, we've still got a couple of slots open. If, if, uh, if you'd like to share your story, I had somebody tell me last week, Pastor Jason, I, I really feel like the Lord's calling me to share my story. I just don't know if I can do it in front of all those people. And I said, God will give you strength. And he looked at me like I was nuts. So um, it's okay. It's okay. He's like, are you sure we can't videotape it? I said, come on, man. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we, we want to hear your story about what God has done in your life. Guys, this morning we're going to have a pretty amazing encounter. Jesus is going to come face to face with a woman that's literally caught in the act of adultery. Okay? And how he responds to, to her speaks volumes of who he is and of who we're called to be. And so my hope is as we study this story, maybe for the first time you see it in a different line. So let's pray, ask the Holy Spirit to come and teach us this morning, all right? Father, thank you so much for your goodness and for your love. We thank you for your word. We recognize it's a gift to us. God, we also thank you for the gift of your spirit. God, we know that we don't deserve the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We know that we don't deserve to be um, the temple of God. That's what you call us. But God, in your goodness, in your sovereignty, you chose us to be your dwelling place. And so God, by the power of your spirit, now would you come and teach us from the inside out the word of Jesus Christ. 
Would you paint such a clear picture of Jesus this morning of who he is that we want him more than ever? And would you do the work in us that we cannot do on our own and by ourselves? God, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So guys, I'm at the end of John chapter 7, the beginning of John chapter 8. If your Bible's like mine, it has some kind of little notation at the top. Mine says the earliest uh, manuscripts do not include uh, 753 through 811. And if, you're, um, if your Bible doesn't say that, that's fine. I'm not trying to freak you out. We've already ran into this once in the book of John, right? When we studied the man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, there was a verse that was missing. I think it was verse 7, and it was an explanation verse. It said that the angels would come down and they would stir the waters with their wings and then the people would get in the pool. Like, what happened? Why is that not in there? Well, what happened is, is when we first collected all the oldest codexes, that's what we call them, uh, the, the collections of scriptures and scrolls, uh, when, when we wrote the King James Bible, when that was authorized, the oldest stuff that we had found included all this stuff, right? Included all these information. Sometimes uh, it included it with a little notation to the side, and then that was, that was, that was put in there. Other times it's done a little differently. So, so at that time, uh, all of the oldest manuscripts kind of had this story in them. Now, when we found older manuscripts, what we found is that this story either was not in this place in John, it was at the end of John, sometimes it was in Luke, sometimes it was missing altogether. And so here's, here's what is not up for debate. Scholars believe that this event historically happened and it is in the, in the history of the church been accepted in the canon of scripture. Okay, so I'm going to teach it that way. And if somebody says, well, why are you teaching it that way? I'm going to teach it that way because of John's last sentence in his gospel right? Because we kind of go by what the word says. Here's what John says at the very end of his book, right? He says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. And so as one of my friends puts it this week, he says, man, I, I love teaching this passage. And he says, I just believe one day in heaven, we're going to be there and, and somebody's going to raise their hand and she's going to say, yeah, that's me. This is my story. I thought, oh God, that's good. That's good. And so I uh, with me now, please, let's read uh, this account. Let's read the word of God. Starting in verse 53 of chapter 7. It says, Then each one went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he went to the temple again, and all of the people were coming to him. He sat down and he began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center of them. Okay? Jesus is most likely in the court of women. That's typically where he might teach in the temple because he had lots of women that would follow him. This is the only place where everyone could have access to him. And so as he's there, the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman who's caught in the act of adultery and they place her in the middle of, of the crowd. And, and so let's just kind of follow. Verse four, teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery and the law uh, Moses commanded us to, so, to stone such women. To stone. Now, I'm going to come back to that. That's a misunderstanding of Scripture. Uh, the Scripture doesn't just say just to stone such women. Uh, it says to stone those caught in the act of adultery. We'll come back to that. But uh, it says to stone such women, they asked. Uh, so they asked him, verse 6, 7, uh, or verse 5, it says, And the law most commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? So what do you say? This is a question. This is a test. They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Now, Jesus stooped down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and he said to them, the one who was without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and he continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with a woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin any more. Do not sin any more. Probably a lot of things I could teach you this morning. I just have one primary lesson. It comes in three parts, but I didn't feel like breaking it up into three different things, okay? So it's just one continual thought. And, and I believe this is the truth of what we can learn from this woman's life, from this encounter with Christ. And here it is, ready? Um, Jesus did not come to condemn us. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He did not come to condone us, right? He didn't come to condone our sinful behavior either. He came to change us. He came to change us. Say it again. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He didn't come to condone us. He came to change us, right? That's what we learn from the story of this woman. So I want to set the scene the best that I can, including the stuff that really disturbs me. Uh, Jesus, again, he's teaching in the temple, probably in the court of women, and that's when the religious rulers uh, interrupt him rudely. Rudely, they interrupt him. Now, this isn't the first time they do this. Uh, in fact, Scripture says that they've interrupted Jesus on multiple occasions. Uh, but this one is, is intentionally cruel in ways that the others aren't. See, at other times, they've interrupted Jesus um, with questions. So Jesus is teaching in the temple, and so they come to him and say, Hey, Rabbi, 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 got a question. Uh, now, I've done a lot of teaching in my life. Uh, like 20 years since I've known Christ, usually in large format settings. And, um, and so that's, that's good. With smaller groups, what happens is people, ah, bah, 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 bah. everybody has a question. Um, I did children's church for a long time, uh, or I would, do, I would do stuff for our week care, and I would go do chapel, and I always found it challenging. I have children. I know what it's like to have children, but when you have a room of 22 children, or they would bring in multiply 40 children, there's like 52 questions out of 40 children. I don't even know how it happened, right? So you're trying to talk, you're, bah, 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 bah. So this is what's going on. Jesus is teaching in the temple. He's interrupted by these rude religious rulers on a regular basis, and they're trying to catch him in some kind of misunderstanding of scriptures. For instance, the Sadducees come to Jesus at one point, and they're like, hey, 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 rabbi, 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 rabbi. We have a question. There is a man who's married to a woman. Okay, Jesus, yes. But the guy dies. They have no children. Now the law says that he should marry the, she should then marry the brother so that, 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 that you know, that there can be a kinsman redeemed so that, so, so that then, then the brother can bear her children in, in the dead brother's name and blah, blah. So that then she marries the next brother, has no children, he dies, and there's the next brother, he dies. Now, now I'm sorry, but if you're the last brother in line, you're like, I'm sorry, you're, you're the kiss of death. Right? This ain't happening. I know what happened to the other six. But the, the, the whole thing, like this all happened. And so in the end, who is she married to in heaven? Like at, after, at the resurrection, they say, who is she married to? And Jesus is like, you, you fools don't even believe in the resurrection. Why are you asking me this question? You misunderstand the resurrection. You misunderstand God. Okay? So that's one instance. Another instance, the Pharisees come to him and say, hey, hey, rabbi, 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 rabbi. We have a question. We have a question. Should we have to pay taxes to Caesar? Right? I mean, all the, all the people of, of Jerusalem are following you. We believe the kingdom of God is coming. We shouldn't have to pay taxes to Caesar. And Jesus is like, well, take a coin out of your pocket. Whose image is on it? Well, Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. Right? So Jesus has dealt with these interruptions before. But this one specifically is cruel because this isn't a question. This involves an individual. And, and, and they're so caught up in trying to catch Jesus in this trap that they don't care. Like, they want to dismantle his ministry so much. They want to destroy him so much that they don't care if they kill someone in doing it. 
They don't care if somebody dies in doing it. And so they bring this woman before Jesus. Now, if you can imagine what it might be like to, to be caught in an act, uh, this, this particular act of adultery, this would be like someone busting into your bedroom and taking you out with whatever you had on in that moment. I love you. Listen, they, they tell you how to, how, to, how to deal with public speaking and some of the things they say, you know. Just imagine that everyone is naked. You don't want to do that. It's not good. Okay, if you ever hear that, you have to speak in public and somebody tells you that, just don't do that. That is not worthwhile, okay? Up here, folks, up here. This woman brought before the crowd, she's placed in the center. See, at that moment, she's no longer a person, she's an object. So this woman is being objectified now in the crowd and everybody is staring at her because she is scantily clothed, probably wrapped in nothing more than a sheet. And the question is, Rabbi, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. What should we do with her? Now, uh, listen, lest you think that this is some kind of righteous, uh, there's some kind of righteous reason uh, before this, we're going to skip over that one slide, Jenny, and just look at verse 6. This is what verse 6 says. It says, they asked him this to trap him. That's the sole purpose, right? This, this, this isn't for religious reasons. This isn't about righteousness. The only reason they have done this, have objectified this woman for the sole purpose of catching Jesus, which means she is not a person in their eyes. She is just a pawn. She's just an object. They just want to catch Jesus. And, and so in this ridiculous ruse, this trap they try to set. And here's the deal. In their minds, they think one of two things will happen, okay? So one, either Jesus will have to uh, show mercy to the woman. And in doing so, he will reject the law of Moses. And in their minds, then that discounts him as a teacher and his ministry is done. The other thing that could happen, right, is he could uphold the law of Moses. And he does that. He, his ministry is ruined because he's known as a friend to sinners, Follow me? Either way, they think they are going to win. Now, here's the part that I find so cruel and unfair. Two, two things, really. First of all, I, w- I bring your attention to the fact that only the woman has shown up here. Says the woman is, is the only one that is brought here. The woman is the only one that is accused of adultery. I don't know about you, but, but I was taught, um, not just from my parents, but in health class, that it takes two to tango. You know what I'm saying? Now, now, friends, listen, I love you. There are some uh, sports in life that are individual sports, right? I, I thought about this, some things that I would like to do on my own, like bowling, you know? I, I, I have lots of children. I don't know if you have kids, if you've ever gone bowling with a large group of people, you pay $1,000 to rent a lane now for an hour, and you get to roll the ball like 10 times. You know what I'm saying? Time's up. How can my time be up? I didn't even finish a friend. Like, I, I didn't finish the whole game. Nope, time's up. Because you have so many children and they're taking, like, it's, it's difficult, right? But bowling would be one of those things you'd enjoy. Just by yourself, what's the highest score I could have? I've got an hour. I bet I could get three or four games in bowling would be nice, right? Golf is another one. Golf, right? Like, like it, it's fine. You can go play golf with a friend, but, but golf is a game. Like, it's just your score against you. You don't have to worry about anybody else. How did I shoot compared to how I normally shoot? Golf's one. Skiing. Skiing. I don't know if you've ever been skiing. I like to ski. Uh, you, I, I've never gone down the slopes with my skis attached to somebody else's skis. It'd be tragic, right? No, when I cut left, I want to go left. When I cut right, I want to go right. That's how I want to do it, right? And so, so there's some things that we think of in life. These are individual sports, okay? Adultery, however, is kind of a team sport. You know what I'm saying? Just, just saying. It's usually a couple people involved here. 
And yet here, the only person brought before Jesus is the woman. She's the only one accused. And, 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 and here's the deal. Like, you have to understand Jewish law. Jewish law says that to make such an accusation against somebody, you have to have more than one witness. And not only do you have to have more than one witness, you actually have to see the act occur. So therefore, the question becomes, well then, where is the man? Right? Where is the man? And so, so now we begin to think through, well, the reason the man doesn't appear most likely must be because the man would implicate the religious rulers. Either he's one of them, or he was paid by them. Just let that sink in for a second. The extent to which these people would go to try to trap Jesus. They've witnessed it themselves. Maybe a ruse that they've put forth. Which brings me to the second thing that really just makes this so cruel that, that, that I really hate. And it's this, for these men, this woman's life doesn't matter. She's just a pawn. Like I said, she's not a person. She has no value. So what does Jesus do with her questions? As they're openly objectifying this woman, what does he do? And, and, I, and I love this. It's in, uh, look at the rest of verse six. It says that what Jesus did, and this is so Jesus, right? Jesus is just smart. Everybody's eyes are upon her. Instead of just standing and saying something while they still gawk over her, he instead bends down silent and just starts to write in the dust. Just starts to write. And suddenly, eyes are shifted off of the woman. What is he doing? You can almost hear the, the whole conversation. What is he writing? Can you, can you make anything out of that? Ask, what, what, do you see what he's writing? In the sand? Now listen, here's the truth. We, we have no idea what Jesus wrote in the sand. Okay, we have some guesses. Uh, we have some guesses of what Jesus wrote in the sand. Uh, some people think that maybe uh, Jesus was quoting Jeremiah 17, uh, 13, which, which says this. Um, Lord, the hope of Israel, all who abandon you will be put to shame. Ready? All who turn away from me will be written in the dirt. <laughs> and Jesus is going, you religious people have turned away from me. You don't even know who God is. He's just reminding them of that. Some people think that Jesus was quoting himself, right? We, we think about the Sermon on the Mount, and we tend to think that Jesus only preached that sermon one time. Uh, but you got to know that in, in Jesus' public ministry, he preached the same things on a regular basis to different groups of people. And so you, you may remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I wonder if he scribbled that in the sand, right? Perhaps, it's one of my favorites, I think maybe he just wrote their names. Levi is here. Nathaniel is Just to let them know, I know that you're here, and I know who you are. Or, or, or even, perhaps, we took it further. Maybe he didn't write their names, but he wrote the names of the women that they had looked at lustfully. And they pushed a little further, and they said, well, what do you say? And so Jesus stands up, and when he stands up, this is what he says. The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, now, when he says that, he doesn't mean the one without any sins. He, he says the one without this sin among you. The one who hasn't committed this sin among you, go ahead and throw the first stone. He's saying you have all committed adultery. Whoever thinks they hasn't, throw the first stone. And, and with great wisdom, it says the oldest man drops his stone first and walks away. Right? Young men, let me just say this. You need some older men in your life. Okay? Even if they're misguided and they're part of a mob, at some point they tend to get it quicker than we do. 
tend to get it quicker than we do. And so it's the one without sin. And so they walked away. And guys, here's where the real teaching begins, doesn't it? Look, look at the last part of the text. So Jesus stood up and he says to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answers. Then neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go and from now on, do not sin anymore. And here's what I want you to see this morning, guys. Jesus does not condemn this woman. Jesus does not denounce her. That's what the the crowd wanted. That's what they tried to force. But that is not why Jesus came to earth. Maybe you remember the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, we've studied that, came to him at night in John chapter 3. And and there we find probably the the most well-known scripture uh, in the universe, uh, John 3.16. But attached to it is this on John 3.17. So John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now it follows with the next verse, for God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not step out of heaven and into humanity to condemn us. And I just want to say that some of you feel that way. Some of you gathered here this morning, and no doubt, like this woman who was very aware of her own sin nature at this moment, you're very aware of your sin, and you're kind of afraid to be in the presence of God because you fear that God is just going to condemn you. If I come any closer, God's just going to smite me, right? God's going to see how dirty I am. And this is what I would say to you, like, this is the proof of God's love for us, is that Jesus came in the world not to condemn us. So that's the first thing I want you to know. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. But the, the next part of that statement, friends, is that he also didn't come to condone our sin. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but he also didn't come to condone us. Look again at how, how this ends. Jesus doesn't say to this young woman, all right, well, I'll, I'll see you later. Right? He doesn't just kind of give her a pat on the back and say, well, just kind of go on back to whatever you were doing before. Thanks. That's not the comment, right? Jesus doesn't look at, at the woman and, and approve of, of what, what she was caught in. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn her, but he also doesn't condone her sinful actions. And, and this is hard for us to understand because we stink at it. Guys, our world tells us right now that you have to be in one camp or the other, right? But by, by the way, that's, that's what religion would say. Religion says you have to be here or you have to be here. And Jesus, God in the flesh is saying, no, I'm going to tell you both of these are, are wrong. Let me show you how to walk this out. And so our world, very much in the same way that these religious rulers should put this pressure on Jesus, they now put that pressure on us. And they say, listen, if you don't approve of someone's behavior or someone's lifestyle, that means that you're a judgmental, condemning spirit. That's what they would tell you. And, and so then the pressure upon Christians who know the word of God is then that we would forget the word of God, that we would ignore the word of God in the sake of love, right? And, and that that's the Christian thing to do, yet Christ never did that. And, and, and guys, I'm going to tell you, this is so prevalent in our society. We've got entire denominations right now that are being rocked by this. You should pray for our brothers and sisters in the Methodist church. There's, there's a push now to split from the Methodist church because they've declared that, that, that marriage is between one man and one wife. Right? So they've made that open declaration. They've declared that in the church, the people of God called to be elders and pastors, that there is a, a bar set by Scripture. 
and, and, and they've just said, hey, we believe in this bar set by Scripture. And so, so they're being called, like, like, listen, that's so condemning. And friends, it's not condemning to uphold the word of God, right? It's not condemning. So we have to be careful because our world's going to say, man, if you, if, you, if you don't want to be that way, you've got you've to condone, you've got to approve. And yet Jesus says, no, I, there's another way forward. By the way, if you're ever wondering in life, I don't know what to do. Because I feel like I'm, I've got to be here. I feel like I've got to be here. I feel like there's no way out. Have you ever said that to yourself? That's why Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Jesus is always the way out. And so there is a way forward, friends, when we feel pressed to be in one camp or the other. And so Jesus comes to this woman and he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't condone her. Rather, rather, he calls her to change. Guys, uh, as believers, we struggle here. We either condone everyone, publicly point out their sin, or we, we uh, I mean condemn everyone, publicly point out their sin, or we condone others' sinful behaviors and lifestyles in the name of love. And what this story tells us is that Jesus says, both of those are a mistake. You know, Jesus says at one point, many are going to come to me on that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons and prophesy in your name? He says, on that day, I'm going to say to them, away from me, I knew you not. It means that you don't get into heaven. You don't get access to God the Father. I think there's going to be some groups there that will shock us. Some of the groups there that Jesus will say, away from me, I knew you not, are the groups that never showed his love to anybody in the world. All they did was shout his condemnation. And God is saying the whole time, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save it. And all you did was tell people that I didn't love you. And that's because you never actually experienced my love yourself. He's going to say, away from me, I knew you not. But hear me, if you're prone to be on the other side, you need to hear this equally important. I believe on that day, there will be some people that Jesus says, away from me, I knew you not. And the reason that he knows them not is because we told them their actions were not sinful. And so therefore, they never felt the need to repent. And church, we cannot be caught on either extreme. For the love of God and for the love of people, we must be like Jesus who, get this, he sees the person. Church, I love you. But all too often, you only see the sin, never the people. And it's real easy to preach about the sin because that's black and white, but it takes no time to preach on sin, church. It takes time to do something about it. And so God, in the flesh, Jesus Christ, sees this woman. She is not a pawn to him. She is not some part of political movement. She is a person. You ever wonder why the Bible is so full of names? Anybody tried a Bible reading plan? You do that in January, say, I'm going to read through the Bible. And you get to so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. I get it, God. Are you going to list every name in humanity? She's like, I don't know that I can make it through this. But if God knows their names, he knows your name. And he knows the name of the person that all you see is their sin. He says, they're not a pawn to me, they're a person. And so, don't condemn them. Don't 
condone them, love them enough to share the truth with God. And here's what Jesus does with this woman. It's the same thing, by the way, that he does with the woman at the well, that he does with James and John, that he does with Peter, that he does with Paul after his resurrection, right? Do you remember the woman at the well? He, he looks at the woman in the well. He says, go get your husband. And she says, sir, I have no husband. He says, that's right. You've had five and the one you're living with is not your husband. But he's still gonna offer the living water, right? He, he's gonna hear James and John arguing pridefully about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And you know what he's gonna do to, to his own followers who are, who've gotten a little big on pride, and who's the best, he's going to turn around and say, hey guys, what were you talking about? And just nail them right where they are. Right When Peter falls and says, Lord, God, the others may fail, but I will never fail. Right? I, I, my love for you will never fail. And then Peter falls on his face. Jesus is going to come to him, and he's not going to ignore Peter's failure. That's not love. It's not love to ignore sin. And so he comes to Peter and says, I love you, Peter. Do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then fine, go and feed my lambs. Right to Paul. He's going to show up in a flash of light and say, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He's going to lovingly point out sin. I'll have you notice. That's always in private. My Facebook friends. It's always in private. It's always in a one-on-one conversation. It's very hard to lovingly point out sin in a public setting. It means you've got to know the person. Church, can I tell you? Listen, I, abortion's all over the, 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 the news right now. And oh my gosh, these abortion bills are passing. This is terrible news. Well, where are you, church? Because you don't need to condemn the people that are stuck in a bad socioeconomic status or the people that have been raped or abused. You don't have to condemn that behavior. Like, like, listen, I'm not telling you to condone the sin, but I'm saying you better be the solution to the problem by opening your front door and saying, I'll take that baby. I'll take that baby. I, I will help you get out of where you are. But listen, none of that happens overnight. And this is where we fail, church, because we want to speak the truth and we want people to magically be changed. We don't want to do the hard work of walking through the ditch with them. And because we don't, because we don't, the world sees us as a bunch of people that are condemning everyone else. You know what the world needs? You need to be, the world needs somebody that we can go to their homosexual neighbor and say, listen, All sin separates us from God. All sin. And I am a sinner. And I have been in places where sin has held me captive so bad that I completely lost my identity and who God created me to be. And I don't expect change overnight. But here's my promise to you. I will walk with you through all of the ugliness of this if you allow me. If you really want to pursue Jesus, let's do this together. And I don't expect this overnight, ba-bam, But listen, I will love you. I'm not going to condemn you. But I'm also not going to condone the choices you're making. I'm always going to share the truth with you. But I'm going to do it one-on-one, just the two of us. And my door will always be open. We can fight. We can argue. You will always have a place in my life. And I say, church, where are you? We learn a lot about God when we see how God deals with the most difficult situations in life. And that's exactly what God does here. He deals with one of the most difficult situations in life. And what we find out about this God is that he loves us so much that he always is willing to meet us in our mess. But he always loves us too much to leave us there. I want to challenge you. Go study the invitations of Jesus Christ this week. Open up your Bible. Time and time again, Jesus will say to somebody, come to me. 
Come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, you who are broken. Come to me, you that need healing. So Jesus always invites people to come. But you know what he does after he invites them to come? He says, now follow me. It's always a twofold invitation. We forget that. We tend to think it's just one or the other. In church, we can do better than this. We can do better than this. We have to do better than this. So I'm going to give you some application. Ready? First and foremost, I think the challenge is to believe Jesus is Savior, right? Uh, by the way, do you know how Jesus can extend mercy to this woman? You know how? how? How do you extend mercy to someone right there when the sin is in your face? How do you extend mercy? Ready? Because he knows he's about to take her sin to the cross. Because he knows. Like, I, I, like, how can Jesus so audaciously say to somebody, go and sin no more? Like, if the Lord were to stand before you today and say, hey, Doug, go and sin no more. Like, how do you receive that? Well, you receive it because you know Jesus can say that because he's going to the cross. He's going to die in your place. He's going he's to ascend into heaven. And he's going to send his spirit to live in you and change you from the inside out because he's going to equip you not to sin. It's what I tell you. Like, the, the answer is Jesus. It's the answer. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to be willing to, to change. Now, some of you don't like change much. And I know you because I get emails from you guys um, about some of the changes we make. I, why do we have this? Why do we? Have, I know that you don't like change. I can tell. I get it. Boy, do I get it. But if you don't like change, listen, Jesus probably makes you pretty uncomfortable because you want to know what God's goal for your life is? Are you ready? You should write this down. Transformation. That's God's goal for your life to transform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the goal. It's not short of that. It's not less of that. It's not more than that. God's goal for your life is to transform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So that like Paul, you can tell others, hey, follow me as I follow him. God's goal for you is transformation. It's change. It's change. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to condone. He came to change you from the inside out. Just leads me to this next little part, right? Uh, so I think we need to be merciful towards people. Can I just tell you this, church? People need mercy. They need mercy when they're caught. Okay? This woman was caught, red-handed. Ever been there, by the way? Ever had your own actions out you? Anybody? I'm the only person in church that's ever been caught? Come on! I think, I think, I don't, my mom didn't know the Lord, but I, I think she prayed to him anyway. And I think what she prayed is, Lord, no matter what my son does, let him be caught. Uh, I, I, and I can tell you some stupid things we did, like prank calling people and the police showed up at the front door. I mean, because we, we, we didn't do any like nice prank calls. They were evil and uh, from the devil. And so then the police showed up. I mean, everything I did in life, I got caught. Caught red-handed. So I pray that prayer for my kids. <laughs> Lord, no matter what they do, will you catch them? <laughs> but you know what you need when you get caught? Because when you get caught, you know what you did. When you're caught, you don't necessarily need condemnation. You need some mercy. You need some mercy. People don't just need mercy when they get caught. People need mercy when they're overcome. There are some circumstances in life that are overwhelming. And do you know what happens when you're overwhelmed? You don't act like you should. God forgive us for being offended when somebody who's caught in difficult times says some stuff we don't like. Amen? I mean, God forgive us. 
How snooty are we that we would look at somebody in the midst of difficulty and, and we would see them acting out? Like, like, this, like Hal talked about foster care. Open up your home to somebody that's been hurt and see the words that come out of that mouth. Or, 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 or deal with the night terrors that come from being left behind. Like, like when you open yourself to hurt, like it is hard to deal with. And people need mercy when they're overcome. Listen to a thing from Rick Warren this week. He was preaching on this passage. He said, you know what? People need mercy when they face death. I just thought how appropriate. When we are completely overcome at even the thought and, and people want to, well, I want to do this or I want to minister that way or I want to do that. What? It's not about you. Mercy. People need mercy in our world. Church, I think if we can get better at this, that maybe we can recapture being the salt and the light that Jesus said we are. Amen. Guys, join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. It's a tough word to study the life of this woman. It's a tough word to have to look in the mirror at ourselves. God, I pray you'd help us. Jesus, um, we, we have people here that run the gamut of the spectrum. We have some people here that um, struggle with that religious tone in their life, and they know it. They have a tendency to condemn others, to point out other people's faults and failures. And God, for them, I pray that you'd minister to their heart and that you'd show them that they need you. And because they still need you, they need to be merciful towards others. Lord, we have some people on the other end of the spectrum that they tend to condone everyone's behavior. And they tend to kind of gloss over sin to the point that they run the risk of making people think that they're good with you when they're really not. And God, that too, we need your, your healing salve. We need you to fix us. We need you to show us what's right. Lord, please. God, help us all remember that your goal is transformation. It's what you want to do. You want to meet people in the middle of their mess, and you want to change them from the inside out. And God, that's a process. Father, I want to pray for everybody here in the midst of that process. It's not pretty. It's not immediate. But God, it will be good. And so, Father, for every heart that is just hanging on, Lord, would you meet them in this moment and would you whisper their name and would you let them know that you are in control and that you are good. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, we're going to take up our morning offering this morning. Um, and I'm going to call our ushers to come forward. I want to remind you, if you're uh, not a member here, you don't have to give. In fact, if you're a guest with us, what you could do in, instead is fill out, uh, there's a little visitor card in the pew in front of you. You could fill that out, and uh, don't drop it in the offering plate. Hang on to it, and then come see me, and I'll give you a gift, okay? And so that's important. So come see me, I'll give you a little gift. I will be over here. Uh, but uh, guys, I, this is the time that if we are members here, we just honor what the Lord has done. We honor what the Lord has done. So join me in a word of prayer as we take up the morning offering. Y'all, yeah, y'all got other plates. Okay, take up the morning offering. So Father, um, we recognize at this time that, that you are Jehovah Jireh, that you're our Lord, you're our provider. And so, so this is a time that we kind of repent of, of putting ourselves on the pedestal of God. We often in life feel like we are the provider. We feel like we are the ones that have to make the money. We have to put the food on the table. We, 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 we. And your word declares you, 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 you. You are the one that provides. You're the one that puts the food on the table. You're the one. Your, your word literally says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. It comes to us as a gift. And so uh, this is a way we recognize the giver by giving. 
We recognize that everything that you have given unto us is, a, is that. It's a gift. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we have done, just like the gift of your son, Jesus. And so we respond to that act of grace that you've given by, by joyfully giving a portion of what you've given back to you. And it's a symbol, God, that you're our king. It's a symbol that you are our provider. And so would you be blessed in this joyous offering? I, I pray that people would break out in laughter and a smile as they write a check today. Uh, literally, this would, be, this would be so joyous that we get to proclaim, we get to worship that you are Jehovah Jireh, our God, our provider. Take these tithes, take these offerings, bless them for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.